Amen. What an anthem. To break every chain. That there's power in the name of Jesus. Uh, that, that song is so, we didn't even coordinate this, but again, there's no coincidences, there's God incidences. This is exactly what we're talking about here today. That Jesus came to break chains. If you look at your bulletin, go ahead, the, the passage for today is in Luke chapter 4. And the title of today's sermon is, Jesus Brings Freedom from Racism. It's an easy topic, right? It's, it's an appropriate topic, but I didn't pick the topic. It's, it's, it's straight out of the Word of God. I didn't pick the songs today, but it's God-ordained. You see, Jesus is in the ministry of breaking chains. It's what he came to do. And racism is just one of those things that's really not the problem. You see, it's a symptom of the problem, and it's just another chain that Jesus comes to break. So I don't come here alone today. I come with my family. Uh, my family are these beautiful people right here and spread out. My son's probably underneath the, the, the pews there. There he is. He popped up. Um, Jeanette, Ryder, Giselle, Kylea, Kyler, and we're the Brang family. We, if we haven't met you yet, we, we are honored and privileged to be here with you. And our lives, our lives are, are we're just the family that, that likes to listen to chains falling on the ground. Everywhere we go, we, we're part of community groups where, where God has us doing life together with other people, where we practice three things, confession and repentance in the midst of a bunch of Jesus people, Christ-centered people. And what we've heard over the past dozen years in our homes, everywhere we've been stationed, we've moved 10 times, everywhere we've moved, there's this addiction that we have to hearing chains fall on the ground when people believe in Jesus. And, and freedom is way more addictive than bondage. Okay? There's what the world calls these addictions, but, but freedom is way more addictive than bondage. So, Luke chapter 4, right? And, and this topic of, well, Ryan, what, what are you going to talk about? Jesus brings freedom from racism? Well, let's just let the passage set the tone for us, okay? So the, 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 the passage for today is Luke chapter 4, verses 22 through 30. And in Luke chapter 4, verses 22 through 30, Jesus is in his hometown. It's a place called Nazareth. It's a real place. I've actually really been there, and I've walked the streets of Nazareth. You've been there, sister? It's, it's wonderful, right, to just be in the place where Jesus really was. And if you didn't know, this is your first time in church. The Bible is actually 66 books written by 40 plus or minus people of real places in the world that really exist. And every single one of these events really happened. That's what this is. We're just, we're not making this stuff up. That's why you follow along in your Bibles. You see, I'm not making anything up. It's all here. So Jesus is in his hometown. Now, three weeks ago, we, I took us through. Uh, chapter 4, verses uh, 14 through 21. 
You remember that? And if you don't remember that, we, we, we recorded it. Actually, we, we have it, put it on our, the YouTube page. So, so there's, Jesus came to his hometown. Right? He preached the greatest sermon ever heard on earth at the time. And then he goes, verse 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, and that's where we're at. So look at this, verse 22, Luke 4, verses 22. It says, they were all speaking well of him, who's him, Jesus, and they were amazed by the gracious words that came from his mouth. And they said, isn't, isn't this Joseph's son? So the first thing I want to point out here is, is when Jesus opens his mouth, it's nothing but grace. When we open our mouths, it should be nothing but grace. Right? If something should sound silly coming out of Jesus' mouth, then it ought to sound silly coming out of our mouths. Right? This is when he get, begins to go to work on us. Like, wait, did I just say something racist? Jesus wouldn't have said it, so, man, I need to confess that. Lord, it shouldn't be coming out of my mouth. If it doesn't come out of Jesus' mouth, then it shouldn't be coming out of our mouth. Because Jesus, whatever comes out of his mouth, is gracious. And we live in a world and a time where you can just go online, do a little scrolling, and you can vilify anybody with a cute little meme and villainize somebody. And it doesn't matter if it's true or not. You're like, well, this, this person was lying. Look at this. We can make fun of them. If it would sound silly coming out of Jesus' mouth, it should so sound silly coming out of our mouths. Jesus doesn't meme, okay? <laughs> he, he, doesn't, he doesn't do that. They're amazed because everything coming out of his mouth is gracious. Jesus doesn't come with knowledge like some of the people in his crowd have. You know, when, when someone walks into the room and they have a lot of knowledge, they have a lot of head knowledge, there's something about it. It's like, mm, that person knows a lot, but I don't feel their love. Jesus is the opposite. He comes in with love. He comes in with grace. And they say, isn't this, isn't this Joseph's son? And they're saying that because they knew him from when he was a little kid. They knew his, his little brother, James. Remember James? wrote some of the scriptures they knew his sister or two i don't know how many sisters he had but but he did they knew wait gee isn't that that little guy that was helping joseph out um the carpenter yeah the carpenter they lived on this street and his mom is mary yeah really nice lady isn't this him verse 23 and then jesus shifts the tone here right he's he's shifting gears and then he said to them verse 23 there's no doubt you will quote this proverb to me, doctor, heal yourself. What we've heard that took place in Capernaum, do here in your hometown also. Now, Jesus is God. Don't make no mistake about it. <laughs> just read the scriptures. The things he does, only God can do. Like right now, he just read people's minds. Did you catch that? Like he's here and he says to them, and he's sitting down because that's what rabbis did when they taught, they sat down. He goes, no doubt you're going to quote this to me. And someone in the crowd is thinking, Oh my gosh, I was just thinking that. But Jesus is God. He could read people's minds and he says, he, I know where this is going to go. This is the greatest sermon ever. But you're going to automatically start to doubt and say to me, you call yourself a doctor, well, heal yourself. Whatever you did in Capernaum, do here also. See, back then, see, doctors sort of have a, a, a credibility today because of their name. It says MD on it or DO or, or whatever, any kind of PhDs and all kinds of doctors. So you see that on a business card and you go, oh, I trust this person. Back then, you'd have no credibility unless you actually did something and people had to see it, right? You're, uh, I'm a doctor. I'm going to heal you. Oh, yeah, touch it. Who have you healed before? Do something right now and prove that you are who he said you are because back then, 
if a quack doctor, you know, some, some wacko is just practicing, which that's what the doctors do, right? They practice. That's kind of weird. But they, they practice on people. Um, they want to see him do something. And they've heard rumors about him because here I hear it says, why don't you do what you did in Capernaum? Well, if you back up in the, in the Gospel of John, Jesus did two miracles before this. One, he turned water into wine, and then he healed someone's son. And you think about that. If I'm going to do a little plug for my favorite, our, our family favorite show, The, the Chosen. Yeah. On that series, remember that? Remember that? Where, when Jesus turned the water into wine, and the people who were putting together the wine, they were business owners. They were so nervous. Like the humanity that they captured in that movie, in that scene, was so amazing, where they're actually worried about their business. And Jesus comes in with all this humanity. He calms them down, and he, he starts doing this miracle. And they give another perspective that I've never even thought about before, where these two nervous people who, were, who owned the wine business said, he's, he's got to be the Messiah. And they leave that business, and they go follow Jesus. Right? Every time I talk about those scenes from this movie, I get, I get these goosebumps, because these are real events. So, hey, Jesus, why don't you, you know, you're so popular. You were doing this stuff in Capernaum, down the street over there. Why don't you do it here? But Jesus never did any miracles in Nazareth. They, they want to see it. He's got this reputation. Remember, at this point in time, Jesus has been on the road doing ministry for about four to five months. And he's got great momentum. Word is spreading about him. He's got a reputation. He's taking the gospel on the road. Sort of like here. It's like the gospel service. Jesus had the gospel service everywhere he went. So, so do what you did over there. Do that here. And here we go. Jesus is shifting another, shifting again, right? Jesus has three strikes here. Three strikes, and then they're going to say you're out. Strike one, strike two, strike three, and then just a little sneak peek. They get so angry, they, they go, they, they gather together, and they try to murder him. Uh, the, J- Jesus is the object of, of bigotry. Jesus is the object of, of rejection. Jesus is the object of, of racism, pride, and prejudice. He's from a town called Nazareth where people go, that's the ghetto. Why, why would, does anything good come out of Nazareth? Like, how could, you came from what town? You can't have anything good to share. That's, okay, so, so how many of you have ever experienced mm, something on the other end of racism or bigotry? Or maybe you got treated differently because of how much money's in your bank account. Maybe you got treated differently because of your socioeconomic status. Maybe you got treated differently because of your rank. Maybe it's how you look. Maybe it's the age that you look, the age that you are, the color of your skin, how you talk, the color of your... How many in this room have experienced something to that effect where you were treated differently based off of something external or something that you couldn't control, right? And if, you, if, if you're listening online, you can see the hands in here. It's pretty much unanimous. And so if you have felt that ever before, you are in good company because Jesus knows what it's like to be rejected. Jesus is the number one reject out of all of humanity. He's perfect, never sinned, never did anything bad, yet was rejected and despised his whole life. And here it hurts a little bit more because it's his hometown. And I, t- I, I tell this story often, but I know what it, exactly what it's like to preach in my hometown. 
because my last duty station at Camp Pendleton, I went back to my hometown after being gone for over a dozen years. I've gone for a long time. Actually, I left San Clemente in 1998 to go to college, and then I came back to work in 2019. Can you imagine what that's like? It's exciting. And I, and I, I went back to my old high school, my old wrestling coaches, my old teachers, we joined a church that there was a lot of people who knew me as a, as a little kid, right? And then they knew me as an adult, right? Uh, and they go, Ryan, you do what now? You're a pastor? You, you're, you're in the Navy? Look, we want to hear you preach. When are you preaching next? Where are you preaching next? Well, I'm preaching here at Heritage Christian Fellowship. We're going to be there, right? So I look forward to sharing with my own people. And I can imagine this is going on in Jesus' heart here. Like he's like, we're going back to Nazareth. And his disciples and, his, and then the, the, wine, the wine people are like, Nazareth? Are you serious? He's from Nazareth? This guy's a rock star. He's from Nazareth? Let's go. And he's in here, and they're watching him, and the greatest rejection is about to happen from his own people. I mean, the people that he grew up with. It's one thing when, when a stranger hurts you, but it's another thing when your own friends turn on you. Have you felt that? Starting 2016, I have never felt so much divisiveness over political issues. Maybe I wasn't paying attention, but it started for me probably about 2016 where these things that we call the primary election start happening. Remember it happened in 2016? <laughs> right? Or maybe it happened in 2008, right? But, but, but right, it was just like, oh, I can't believe we have this kind of president. Like, look, I'm not, I'm not political. Actually, I'm very political. I have a king, and he's on the throne, so I'm very political. And every time I vote for my guy, he always wins. He's permanently on the throne. Okay, that's, that's who I'm voting for. So 2016, I started noticing that my, my friends um, who voted a certain way stopped talking to my other friends who voted a certain way. And then they put me in the middle, and they said, hey, hey chaps, who are, you, who are you voting for? Whose side are you on? And I would always tell them the same thing. Well, my, my guy is Jesus, and I voted for him, and he's on the throne, and he won. And then when the election would happen, when they would announce, so many people would be crushed. And I'd send a text message to all my friends. Hey, I, I checked the results three seconds ago, and Jesus is still on the throne. Because it's like we forgot. We forgot who's in control, right? I love what Tessa said right at the beginning. It's amazing how you can live when you know who's in control. Okay? Look at, look at my little... Look at my little coffee mug here. If you see this thing, I got two questions on here, two questions on my mug. So when I drink my decaf coffee, a.k.a. brown sadness water, my friends call it, um, it reminds me of two things. Who's in control and to whom am I going to listen to today? It says it right here on my little mug. So every time I drink of this thing, I go, who's in control? Who am I going to listen to today? And the answer to the second question is the answer to the first one. It's God who's in control, and I'm going to listen to him today. And if I listen to anybody else, my heart rate starts to go up. My blood pressure starts to go up. Everything starts to fall apart. But when I realize Jesus is in control, I don't need to worry about anything. So going back to this divisiveness thing, right? 2016, um, I, I started losing friends who wouldn't talk because they couldn't believe I wasn't more, uh, more energetic about this political issue than, than they were. I just, I just, quite frankly, didn't care because when Jesus is in control, I don't care. I, I do care, but I don't care. You, you, you know what I mean? I think it, my world's not going to fall apart because a man or a woman or someone in politics doesn't have the power. Yeah. Right? Just, it's, 
and that, and not only that, but but I I read a little bit of history, and I know that now compared to other times, like remember what went on here in this very land, probably on this very street about 80 years ago, was a very very bad time, where if you were a certain ethnic group, then they would line you up and throw you in jail and murder you and your family. And then you fast forward. Um, last night, my family and I watched Remember the Titans, one of our favorite movies. And my kid says, wait a minute, wait a minute. They were treating people like that in 1971? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's where out, out of a lot of movements of churches, people, be, be, when they walked into a church, they felt prostrate on the floor because that's the only thing they could do. And out of that came this whole movement of, of oh, Jesus, we need you. A lot of energy came out of that movement in churches who were pleading on the ground, God, when is this oppression going to end? When are we going to be treated the same? When are we going to be seen as people in the Imago Dei, people created in the image of God? You see, if we're going to be united on any front, it's the fact that we all are image bearers of God. We are all created in the Imago Dei. I cannot see anybody anymore at a time, a very dark time in my life where I used to see color and things like that, I can no longer see because I just see image of God. Honestly, honestly, God, when I see people, I don't think, why are they acting like that? Why do they do that? Why do they talk like that? Why do they look like that? I always think, I wonder what their story is. And I wonder if Jesus has met them in the midst of their pain. I wonder what kind of wounds they have and if Jesus is healing them. That's how I see everybody now. I have no, there's no room for judgment in my heart anymore. And if it started to come back, if that old hat sin would to come back, then I know what I would do. I would confess it with my friends and my family. I would expose that junk, make sure it's th that root is pulled out, throw it into the sun. When there used to be the sun, but uh, anyways. <laughs> throw it out in the sun. The sun kills that root. It's like keeping all my sins exposed. Every single negative thought. If I were treating someone based off of the way they dress, their socioeconomic status, their color, anything, I'd just bring that out. Confession and repentance in the midst of Gospel-centered community. That's what we do. That's what our children do. Um, elementary school, high school, that's a brutal time because kids are experimenting. They're seeing things online, and they're saying mean things, right? Who's in elementary school here in junior high and high school, right? Kids say some really mean things. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's why we need Jesus. That's why we need each other. Amen. Everybody in here. You just have to live about five years and you'll start to experience people's sinful behavior and their sinful reactions. And it hurts. And then Jesus comes in and says, this is, I'm the healer. You're okay. You got some wounds? I'm the healer. I'm bringing, I'm bringing healing in my name. Okay, so, so here, Jesus has got three strikes and then they're going to, and he's out, right? And he's going to be rejected. Even worse than anything that happened in 2016. 2016. Remember, and then, and then those four years went by, and then 2020. Remember, it happened the same stuff over and over again. Oh, I can't believe it was running. I can't believe this is going on here. Did they did they steal the election? And all these, everybody got so distracted. The enemy was laughing. I, the enemy was laughing. Like I got so so many people worried about what's going on here, and they forgot what's going on here. One of my favorite lines when I'm doing, I do a lot of counseling. I, I, someone says. I got this going on, I got this going on, I got this going on. This is my, my wife's doing this, my kids are doing this. And I go, okay, so 
you told me a lot of what's going on around you. Tell me what's going on inside you. The heart of every issue is the issue of the, of the heart. The heart of every issue is the issue of the heart. Jesus is on a rescue mission to rescue us from the things that would corrupt our hearts. It's all a heart issue. That's why Jesus came here. So, so watch this. They're paying attention. They, they know Jesus is gracious. They know he's loving. They know he can preach good. And he goes, you're going to reject me. Verse 24, he said, I tell you that no prophet is accepted in his hometown. He's, he's teeing it up. Okay? So, so watch this. Strike one happened if you back up to verse 18 when he stops reading Isaiah 61. Jesus is reading Isaiah 61, okay? So watch this. Let me just read for you Isaiah 61 and tell you why this group is so mad. So Jesus, in Isaiah 61, it's probably my favorite passage in all of the Old Testament because it shows the Messiah's mission statement. And when Jesus is quoting Isaiah 61, he's saying, I am that Messiah. I'm the Messiah. And in in this mission statement, there are five things that the Messiah will do. And I, watch this. One, okay? Jesus comes and he says, um, the spirit of the Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to, one, bring good news to the poor. Right? That has everything to do with freedom. Bringing the gospel to people who are poor in spirit. Physically poor, spiritually poor, Jesus comes to preach the gospel. That's about freedom. Two, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. That's all of us. That's all of us. Uh, Another one, to proclaim liberty to the captives. Freedom to those in bondage. That's all of us. You name your bondage. It might be be this, it might be that, but everybody's got bondage. Everybody's got chains, and those chains need to fall off. Um, Jesus came to proclaim freedom to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And, And Jesus stops reading there. In ancient synagogues, they're supposed to read about three verses minimal. Jesus reads 2.2 verses. And, and the people here are so smart, they would have known. They would have said to themselves, because Jews love this passage. Ancient Jews love this passage because it talks about them being liberated. So watch this. The smart people in the crowd go, oh, I can't wait for this next part. Watch this. You know when you hear a good sermon, you start going like this, like, watch, the next part's really good. They think he's about to read the part that says, you look at verse 2 here, Isaiah 61, 2. Not only to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, which is the year of Jubilee, a year of complete forgiveness, where everybody forgave everybody. It was amazing. If you had a slave, you cut your slaves free. If you owned land, you gave it back. If you had any debts, you just canceled them all. That's an amazing year. Imagine one year of that. Like if 2022 would be a year of Jubilee, a year of forgiveness, uh, there would be no more war. There would be more hatred. There would be nothing. But so Jesus reads that, and the next verse that he's supposed to read is, and the day of God's vengeance. But he doesn't read that. He denies them that. And the people in the crowd are thinking, wait, hey, wait, wait, wait. Keep reading. We want to hear the part where God comes and he has vengeance on all of our enemies. When Jesus is preaching this, there are Roman guards outside riding their little horses around and patrolling the streets and abusing Jews. There are people that they're recruiting called tax collectors. Matthew is a tax collector who they would hire these Jews to steal money from Jews. So they were total traitors. 
it's, it's, like, it's like being in the military and selling our secrets to another country. And, and that might make your heart boil, right? That's exactly what the Jews were feeling with tax collectors. Like, you're a U.S. Um, military person, and you sold our secrets to that country? Right? What happens in the U.S. if you do that? You get free room and boarding at Leavenworth. Yes. Yes, you go to jail. So every Jew is thinking, all these tax collectors should be in prison. But who does Jesus recruit in his, in his posse? A criminal. It would be like today, Jesus recruiting someone from, I don't know, Al-Qaeda. And like, no, this is, no, this is the church. Why would you have one of those? He has a criminal background. He's a registered, you name it. And Jesus doesn't play it like that. So they're like, we keep reading Jesus. And it says here, to comfort all who mourn, to provide those who mourn in Zion, to give them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, festive oil instead of mourning, and splendid clothes instead of despair. See, Jesus is supposed to read all of Isaiah 61, but he's not supposed to because that's for another time. So he stops reading, and right away, the smart people in the crowd go like, he stopped reading. I can't believe he stopped reading. We want to hear the part where Jesus or the Messiah is going to come and set us free from all these Roman oppressors. Nobody likes to be oppressed. Remember the Titans, 1971, every single one of those boys on that football team said, why do we have to deal with this? Why does this, this, why does this um, drinking fountain say colored only and, and non? What's up with that? God, if you're real, why don't you come down and, and, and liberate us from this? But you see, God is always good in his timing. He knows exactly what he's doing. And for God, there is no time. He's outside of time and space. So he knows. Okay, so let's, let's just track again here. Strike one, Jesus. Strike one. You should have kept reading, but he denies them that. Now strike two is coming. Verse 24 or verse 25. Um, but I say to you, there were certainly many widows in Israel in Elijah's day when the sky was shut up for three years and six months while there was a great famine over all the land. So Jesus didn't open to this passage, but this passage is 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings chapter 17. Now, you don't have to turn. I'm just letting you know so you can make a note. 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 8 through 16. And he shifts, right? Because Jesus, ha- Jesus has the entire Bible memorized. So he's in Isaiah 61. Then all of a sudden, boom. He throws in a little First Kings out of nowhere. And in this passage, Jesus summarizes this whole First Kings passage like this. Uh, there were certainly many widows in Israel. A lot of widows in Israel in Elijah's day when the sky was shut up for, six, for three years and six months while there was a great famine over all the land. But, but, verse 26, Elijah was not sent to any of them except a widow in Zarephath in Sidon. So right then and there, they're like, why, why is Jesus telling us about this story, because they all have it memorized too, where the prophet Elijah, who is, who is the man, right, he ignores all the Jews, this certain ethnic group called the Jews, the favored people, and he goes to a non-Jew in this region called Zarephath in Sidon. Okay, that's strike two. But they're not saying anything yet, but they're, but they're getting angry. 
One, they deny, he denied them, Isaiah 61, the rest. Second, he throws at them 1 Kings 17, and they're, they're starting to get angry. And now watch this. Strike three is verse 27. And in the prophet Elijah's time, there were many in Israel who had leprosy, which was a, which was a very bad, bad deal. I mean, if you knew someone with leprosy, you just went like this, like, no, I'm not talking to that person, right? Yet none of them was cleansed except Naaman the leper. So you have Jesus reading Isaiah 61, and then he goes, surprise, 1 Kings 17, and then he throws in 2 Kings uh, chapter 5, verses 1 through 27. Two random stories, right? It's not random to Jesus. He knows exactly what he's doing. He goes, this, now this is a triple whammy. Not only is this person in Elisha's time um, a man with leprosy, right? Like one of the most despised, nastiest things. Nobody wanted to go near them. Nobody wanted to go near them. But none of them, because Jesus is mentioning a disease that's rampant in Israel. A lot of Jews have this thing called leprosy. And then Elisha, the prophet, goes to Naaman the Syrian and he ignores all the Jews who have this leprosy, and this prophet only heals Naaman the Syrian. Okay? Watch what happens. Verse 28. When they heard this, strike three, Jesus, everyone in the synagogue was enraged. They were enraged. They got up, they drove him out of the town, and brought him to the edge of the hill that their town was built on, intending to hurl him over the cliff. What would cause someone so much anger that they would try to murder somebody? Okay. Racism. Racism. These people, they heard something that was so offensive, they chose to be offended. Like, well, he just told us two stories uh, where, where God went outside of our own ethnic group and healed someone else. See, racism doesn't make any sense. Because in order to be racist or prideful or, 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 or bigot or have ethnic superiority complex, I would have to first believe a lie that I'm better than someone else. I would have to discount the truth that were created in the Imago Dei. If you want to make it really simple, I would have to ignore the truth that we all came from Adam and Eve. How do you get around that? How do you get around that? It's, it's, when I started thinking about, wait a minute, did we all come from two people? Yes, it says right here, Genesis 1, 1, uh, Genesis and, and 3. Uh, then how do you get around that? Aren't we brothers and sisters with just different levels of melanin in our skin or whatever it's called? I, I don't even know what it's called, right? I don't identify as a brown guy. I just, that, that doesn't make any sense to me. I don't know what, it, I don't know what white means. I don't know what black means. I don't know what that means. Still, to this day, I've looked it up in the dictionary. I don't know what that means. Is that referring to a pigment? Is that referring to a mentality? Or is, when we talk about each other in color, are we talking about a mindset? What is it? I love what, what, what Brother Harvey said the other day. He goes, this is not an ethnic service. This is not a, a denominational service. This is the gospel service. That's what it is. We preach the good news. The good news is we can be free from seeing people in a shallow way, in an earthly way, and I can see people in the Imago Dei. If I can see people 
well, the way God sees them, I see them clearly and I see me clearly. If I do not see people how God sees them, I'm only going to see worldly things. I'm going to be divisive. I'm going to be angry and full of murder. The people's problem here is they're first deceived. They have this ethnic superiority for whatever reason. I'm, our, my people are better than those people, so why did God heal those people instead of me? They wanted preferential treatment. You see, that's rooted in lies. That I have to believe, I have to discount so many truths in order to arrive at racism, bigotry, ethnic superiority complexes. I have, to, I have to discount so many things before I actually get there. So I'll say this, how I started off. Racism is actually not the problem. It's a symptom of the problem. You see, bigotry, the way treating someone be, based off of what they look like or their education or, or whatever, is not the problem. It's a symptom of the problem. You see, ethnic superiority complex is not the problem. It's a symptom of the problem. If we back it up, the problem is, first of all, deception. I believe the lie. And when the enemy gives us lies, he will give you 99.99% truth and a little bit of lie. You know, for the little kids in here, you know who's going to give you drugs or something bad or, or look at this on your phone? It's not going to be the the person in the trench coat with no teeth, like, ha, you want some drugs? That's easy. You know how to stay away from that person, right? It's dangerous. It's going to be your friends. Pay attention. It's going to be your neighbor. It's going to be the little kid next door, like, hey, look at this. Look at this. Look at this. You got you to stay vigilant because it's going to look all good. We are deceived when it's 99% good and 0.0001% poison. That's how they get you. That's how the enemy will get you. He's not dumb. He's going to give you truth. It's going to look good. It's going to taste good. It's going to smell good. It's going to look really fun. And then he's going to get you, hook, line, and sinker. We have to stay in community. We have to speak truth into each other's lives. We have to say, hey, hey, bro, don't, don't, go that, don't go there. Don't go that way. It's bad. Why? My kids ask me that all the time. Why, why, can't, why, why can't I have this app on my phone? Because I know. I, I know where that goes. Okay? Why can't we watch this movie? It's just NC-17 or radar or whatever. Because we know. We know. You have to trust us. We know. We care about you. God loves us more than we would ever love ourselves. He has all these things in here because he loves us. He puts parameters and he puts, your parents love you so much, they don't let you cross the street. I used to get mad at my dad so much because he wouldn't let me cross the street. My brother's six years older than me or five years older. I said, he can cross the street. My dad knew because he loves me so much. He had parameters and he had rules around me. That's what your parents do because they love you. They'll give you rules. God loves us, so he gives us these parameters and these rules. Okay, so they were so mad they tried to kill him. Verse 30, this is probably one of my favorite parts of the story. Look at verse 30. But he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. Right? Um, I always think, like, grab him. And he's just like, he's just like, and he's just, Doing like the Matrix maneuvers, right? They're, and then he just walks on his way. Because when it's not your time to die, you will never die. You will never die. You can get sick, but you won't die. You can get, you can get run over by a car, and if it's not your time, you're not going to die. In 2020, 
I was deploying to the Middle East and I got in a plane crash. My plane went down, we totaled the plane. There was like 234 of us on the plane. It wasn't our time to die, we did not die. And my back's pretty jacked up. Probably gonna get some disability out of that, but it wasn't my time to die. Now if it is my time to die, I'm going to die. And that you or nobody else, no doctor in the world can save me. It's appointed, Hebrews 12, 9, it's appointed for man to die once and after that to face judgment. It's not Jesus' time to die, so he's not going to die. What did 2021 and 2022 do to us that Christians actually started fearing getting sick? We're not supposed to do that, everybody. We're not supposed to fear getting sick. We're not supposed to fear dying. Actually, to live as Christ and to die is gain. We should actually look forward to the being absent from the body and face to face of the Lord, but enjoying that he has us here, here, now. So, so look, at, look at Jesus, right? It's not his time to die. If I look at the theme of this in, in closing, the theme of this whole chapter here is freedom. How do I know this? Jesus stands up when he preaches. He goes, yes, I've come to proclaim uh, the good news to the poor. That's about freedom. I've came to um, provide freedom for the captives. That's about freedom. I've come to give sight to the blind. That's about freedom. I have come to heal the oppressed. That's about brokenhearted people, and that's about their freedom. Do you see a theme in Jesus' mission in his life? Freedom, 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 and freedom. This whole thing is about freedom. This whole thing is about chains falling off. And then he knows that their main issue is ethnic superiority. That's why he goes right into it. He goes, I come for freedom for blindness, so you can have sight. I come so that you can, if you're hurt, you can be healed. And by the way, you know, God loves these other people. And inside them came this evil, deception-based racism. And they go, no, no, God loves us better than you. And Jesus says, I came so you can be free from that. Today, the problem still exists because sin still exists. And there's all kinds of things and gospels that have come out. Like, like uh, you know, ever since I was in college, I, I've been aware of, of racial reconciliation sermons. I've been hearing them for a long time. And I've been hearing, you know, in 2001 when the towers were struck and there were billboards all over Orange County that it was like this unity theme and everybody's holding hands. But it was unity apart from Jesus Christ, which is evil. There's racial reconciliation, but apart from Jesus Christ, it's a dead end. You see, there's racial reconciliation, but apart from Jesus Christ, it's just this bottomless pit. There's no end to it. And then how do you know if, you, if you've succeeded in racial reconciliation? See, it has to end at the gospel and people unifying over the fact that we're created in the image of God and we come together. I think we are different ethnicities just just as another venue to express love. I think God would be like, you know what would be really cool? Is if um, you know, this person had this much level of melanin in his skin, this person, and then it just created another opportunity to love. Jesus loves opportunities for us to love. Amen. So, the heart of every issue is the issue of the heart. When, when you run into this, and you run into other people who would see you different, treat you different because because of, of the way you look, the way you, your, your, your ethnic makeup, your heart should break for them, not because of them, because they're, they're being lied to. Yeah. They're, 
our hearts should break every time someone's believing a lie. And then now I can pray for them in a certain way that I've never prayed before. And let, let me tell you, let me let me tell you this. I I don't pray for people anymore. I pray for myself to be the conduit of love to them so that God's love flows through me to them. See, this is the old school me like, I pray for that person. That person is such an idiot, right? Okay? Here's my prayer now. God, do you love that person? Yes. Do you want to love them today? Yes. Well, what do you want to say to them, Lord? Okay. Now, Lord, you can say that through me. You see the difference? I'm praying for me. I'm praying for me now, not them. This is the temptation. Is I pray for that guy because that person's dumb. Now I can pray, Lord, you love that person. You see them as uh, an image bearer. Lord, they're maybe a sheep without a shepherd. How do you want to love that person today? Okay, then you can use me to do it. <sighs> I don't want to, but I die to myself every day, and God, you can do it. What do you want to say to them? Try it on your family. It's, it's easy. Try it off in the easy venues. Work, school, eh. and then when you and then try it in your home. Lord, what do you want to say to this child right now who just said no to me? Oh, Grace. Okay. I don't want to give. I don't want to give Grace. God, Brian, that's not how I work. I'm a gracious God. Okay. And it's just. I, and I die to myself every day. It's beautiful to die to yourself. It's beautiful to die to yourself. Um, let's pray. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. You are so awesome. You, you give us stories of your life that show you're full of grace. And so, God, right now, in our hearts, because the issue of the heart of every issue is the issue of our hearts, we only want things to come out of our mouths that, that reflect you. And Lord, some, some nasty things have come out of our mouths, and it, if it would sound silly coming out of your mouth, it should sound silly coming out of my mouth. So, Lord, I confess those things that I've said. Thank you for your forgiveness. Lord, we, we repent as, as a body here. Things that, that are racist, things that have come out of our mouths, and if not in our mouths, they've come out of our actions. Thank you for your forgiveness. Lord, today we say thank you for empowering us in this area of our lives to be free, for chains to keep falling off every day. Thank you. Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's, let's end with, with take, the, take the body and the blood of, of Christ with me. This is called the Lord's Table. I'm going to grab mine here. If you ever wondered where, where, where we get the passage, well, one of the passages in 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26. Paul speaking, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and we had given, when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So, let's open up the, the bread portion here. Paul also said that when you, when you do this, make sure that you have 
your sins confessed before God. I mean, you, you, you do not want to do this if there's something unresolved in your heart. So take a second right now on your heart and resolve that. And if you need to do that with another person as well, then do it. If, it's, if, it, if they're reachable by phone, get on the phone here and say, hey, this is, this is my sin. So let's break the bread here. And let's remember the Lord Jesus. Thank you. In the same way, he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let us drink and remember that the blood of Jesus cleanses us. Lord Jesus, thank you for your body and your blood shed on the cross. That this, there's power in what you've done, Lord, the gospel is the good news that you've set us free. You've set us free from ourselves. You've set us free from evil mindsets. You've set us free from deception that would lead us to the silliest of actions and words. Thank you for your forgiveness and your grace and your mercy. Lord, we now choose to be that conduit of grace and mercy and peace to others that they may see our works and praise the Father in heaven.